0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream QA segment 180 is the number. We are ready to both rock and roll, if I am correct.
1: I thought we were gonna trade off.
0: Trade-offs in all things. I'm gonna rock, you're gonna roll. All right, fair enough. And then we can try that.
1: After that, you're gonna rock and I'm gonna roll. We'll see. Okay. We are going to start with a question from the Discord hmm. server, as we always do. Uh dude the push the zebra back he's not visible anymore he's hiding behind the shrubbery <laughs>
0: uh, shrubbery um
1: this is interesting uh this is i know nothing about this uh the question is low levels of intestinal alkaline phosphatase are linked to many health conditions asthma eczema obesity colitis leaky gut and more could low levels be an evolutionary response to a dietary expectation that unpasteurized milk will be part of our diet? One more short paragraph explaining. Alkaline phosphatase is plentiful in raw milk, and the fats help transport this undamaged through the stomach to the gut where, it's needed, where it is needed. The standard test for pasteurization is to confirm that alkaline phosphatase has been deactivated.
0: Fascinating question. Yeah. Um, I only sort of get it. Seems to me that A, this wouldn't be a very ancient adaptation. If if uh, I understand the question, the question is, are our bodies expecting unpasteurized milk in adulthood? Yeah. Which seems unlikely. If it were true, it would be true for certain populations and not others. Um, you know, populations that have no history of dairy, for example. In adulthood. In adulthood, would mm-hmm. uh, would not have such a phenomenon, so that would be an interesting no non human dairy, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would be surprised, but uh, sure. Now the question is, yeah,
1: I mean, I guess the question, yeah, I'd like the the obvious way to assess the basic hypothesis is: um, do, for instance, Japanese people and people of Japanese descent have low levels of intestinal alkaline phosphatase as well and and, and are differing levels of intestinal alkaline phosphatase in Japanese people um, linked to different kinds of health conditions? Right.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's, that's
1: actually the test. That would
0: be the test. Yeah. Um, and then there's another question about whether or not this is cause or symptom yep. of something. And there are so many things that affect gut biome. So many ways in yeah, which yeah. Uh, modernity has interfered with normal gut biome stuff. So there's a question about whether or not it's uh, it's cause or effect. Um, I'd be curious. to Be sure.
1: Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, for those for those eating dairy, uh, raw does does seem to be better, and for a whole lot of reasons. And um, you know, not just unpasteurized, but unhomogenized. Yep. I think the you know the 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 identical size fats uh, is not likely to be helping us. Yeah,
0: uh, not likely to be helping us. And uh, also similar questions around emulsification. Yes. Um, Yeah. There's all sorts of. Let's put it this way. When in doubt. Do the natural thing. And all of your fancy technological fixes for little problems are liable to have consequences that we can't see because welcome to complex systems.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, it's hard. The U.S. makes it harder to eat raw dairy, right? There um, there is this, there's a raw dairy on the mainland near us um, that I picked. I went and uh, got some raw milk the last time I was driving up back to the ferry. Um, It takes a little getting used to if you're used to uh pasteurized homogenized dairy uh, but it's it's just better for you.
0: Yeah. You weren't drinking milk, were you? You're putting it in coffee or something.
1: Yeah, and I I mostly I got it for Toby who does drink milk. Uh and I'm so I mostly this is second hand, you know, I was like how does it how is it uh, compared to your, you know, like organic valley grass-fed you know, pasteurized homogenized uh and it's like, yeah, it's fine. But it doesn't quite taste like uh, the milk that he's used to drinking.
0: Grass-fed, but unpasteurized.
1: No, the Organic Valley is pasteurized.
0: It is pasteurized and pasteurized, raised in a field, at pasture. It's spelled differently. Oh, no. Okay. That spoils so much stuff.
1: Now, I mean, it's the whole point of puns is that you people who don't know how to spell or don't care uh, manage to get away with a lot of shit.
0: Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, You knew it was spelled differently. Louis
0: Pasteur. Pasteur. Yes. Well, but let me ask you a question. Okay. Is it spelled differently in French?
1: Well, okay. Pasteurized as in like it's been out at pasture isn't a thing. Like you just made that up. So it's spelled differently in French. It's not spelled in French because you aren't in French.
0: That is a sneaky point on your part, <laughs> but I accept it.
1: Okay. Uh, we'll ask Echo later. Um, okay. Uh, for the, now we'll go to the questions at uh with the questions that are here. And we're probably going to be <laughs> a little brief about this today. Um, okay. RFK stated that increases in autism was not due to weakened criteria. I disagree. The best way to hide an epidemic's actual cause is to hide it in a sea of bad data. Only a few bad actors are needed. The self-interested and gullible do the heavy lifting. Did he say this on in your conversation? It's been a year and a half since you had the conversation.
0: I don't think so.
1: Zach, do you remember? If uh, RFK said increases in autism wasn't due to weakened criteria in the podcast that you just released,
0: I don't believe he said that. I don't okay. think. So. I think he said it, but not. I don't think it was in the podcast that we just released. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean that's mostly a comment. Uh, and of course, the problem is that these things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, so you could have a weakened standard, and you could have. Uh, a causal link and the two of them would m- mask each other
1: yeah I mean actually now that I now that I think I know more about what this means he stated the increases in autism wasn't due to weakened criteria um again like I I have not heard the original comment mm-hmm. so I don't know exactly what um RFK said um but what that sounds like to me from this description is that he's he's objecting to the claim which has been made uh, that the rise in autism is uh, is. Weakened can, we can, is just a weird word here. Is is due to an expansion of and a focus on like yep. expansion of the category and a focus on people who are at the you know, would have been edge cases before, and so we get you know autism some spectrum disorder, we get Aspergers, and like you know we we just start putting more and more things in the category, but I don't know if that's weakened criteria, isn't how I would dis, how I would say that. So I'm not sure that's what is meant here. Uh, I guess I'm not I'm not totally sure. It's since we're trying to respond to something that RFK supposedly said, I would want to know what he actually said before uh, responding, responding more. I would totally buy a shirt with trust the science circle jerk on it, said by Heather two or three episodes ago. Not sure how to do the graphic on a shirt intended to be worn in public, but I have some ideas. Have your people call my people. Um. I'm curious what your ideas are. You can, uh, you can find a way to contact me at my website. There's a, there's an email address there. Um, so I'm curious. You could have a
0: circle of jerks who did this to us.
1: But you, yeah, excuse me. God. It's like, you want to, um, close at least the screen door there. So we don't like, I think I'm going to choke on a dragonfly. Mm. Um, no, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but, yeah, you could, like, some, like, lab lab coats, like, putting something, behind, like, dudes in lab coats um, kind of passing off. Like, I know what's actually going on, but I don't know how to make it graphic. And, yeah. you know, the circle jerk obviously alludes to something that we're not going to put on a shirt. No, I don't think
0: we're going to put it on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. I presume it's only metaphorically, science. but I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's not science. No, it's not science. No. Um,
1: yeah, I, li- I like I, I would like to figure out something there. Mm-hmm. I think I think it could be, I think it could be good. Um, I like a lot of the things that RFK Jr. says, but his stance on banning assault weapons is a pretty hard no for me. How do you think about this, and do you think he'd be open to the arguments in your essay on the subject?
0: Uh, it's a good question. I look forward to asking him. I, yeah, I think he. I mean, I don't want to speak for the man, but think he would be open to the arguments because he has said very clear things about not wanting to take guns away for a reason, and then the assault weapons ban stance obviously raised some eyebrows, um, but the man knows a few things about tyranny, and so in any case, I don't know that he would be persuaded by those arguments, but I think he'd be open to hearing them, and I, I, I will, I will ask him
1: my sense is that he's open to hearing all arguments put forth in good faith
0: i agree and he says as much in uh, the beginning of the podcast that mm. we just released
1: cool um your essay on the subject talks about assault weapons specifically and i like i don't um i don't know what the category is i know i know this is, this is a politically rife territory so I don't know I do not know this space
0: I'm trying to remember what exactly I said in that yeah. essay I certainly said that um, the founder's commitment to the right to bear arms appears to have been a hedge against tyranny and whether I said or only implied that in order for it to be a functional hedge against tyranny the firepower has to be sufficient uh, not necessarily to win against a tyrannical adversary, but to inflict enough to of a penalty damage. that the right. adversary would be reluctant to use that maneuver. Yep. Um, so anyway, it's implied in that essay. It's probably said, um, but I don't remember. It's been a while, and I don't remember exactly what's included there. Yeah. I certainly believe it.
1: Will you please explain? Saddle up the direwolves. We ride tonight. I missed it.
0: Um, I, don't,
1: I don't honestly remember <laughs> exactly how it came
0: up. <laughs> well, it's sort of a it's a confluence of things. Okay. Uh, you know, you and I have uh, spent quite a bit of time with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, when we've
1: watched it twice through, once alone and once with our, our young kids, men. Yeah. Um, you say you watch that with your kids, and you like, that seems yeah. like bad Aw, parenting. But,
0: um, <laughs> so... And then it's also a reference to a Radiohead song uh, that seems to be uh, Tom York, um, perhaps drunk on his porch, uh, taunting the enemies of freedom in absentia. Um, I can't remember what the name of the song what, is.
1: What's the line?
0: Uh, the line is, uh, why am I having trouble recovering it? Hold, hold on a second. I mean, the line is we, we ride tonight. Um, yeah. Is that correct? I don't think so. Oh, you and whose army? That's it. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so the point is, it is, I don't know, the song resonates, and uh, We Ride Tonight is not...
1: You forget so easy, We Ride Tonight, We Ride Tonight. A lot of mention of ghost horses.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway, I just thought uh, wolves are scarier than horses, and so, something like that. Can I say, I asked this question multiple times when we released that shirt and never got an answer? I mean...
1: (laughs) Mostly just amused us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, this is a weird enemy to fight and uh
1: Yeah. No, if we if we had uh fierce and loyal and saddleable direwolves, we'd be in a much different position. Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: We'd be way cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: talking about us specifically. I'm talking about all of us. Like if we the side of, you know truth and justice in the american way i guess you know had uh loyal uh skilled saddleable which direwolves usually presumably would not be um direwolves yeah on our side this would feel like a different fight
0: it would yeah i'm all up for it we should come up with a shirt
1: oh that's a really good idea
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. i
1: had no idea about a Radiohead connection so i missed that entirely
0: yep. yeah. i think that was a pretty good explanation i I'm surprised i'm hearing it a year and a half later. Whatever, <laughs> well you asked but it, it's a good question it's a good answer rather
1: oh, okay um well i don't know if uh, the person who asked the question will feel that it was a good answer but there it is um <clears throat> hey folks can you detail some good resources for learning evolutionary thinking and biology hopefully some free and some books or a description of a field biologists mindset um yeah i mean you yeah, know hunter gatherers guide does um does does a lot of that selfish gene is still the classic tome in this in this space and it's you know closing in on 50 years old published in 1976 it's an update brett <laughs> um
0: <laughs> yes it does
1: um there are there are a lot of good but i don't, i know less in the free space um that we there's gonna be some curriculum that I think is pretty good that's coming out from us in the fall, I think. Um, but it won't be free. Um books like Mother Nature by Sarah Blaffer Hurdy, um Baboon Metaphysics by the Cheneys, Cheney and Cheney, not Dick Cheney.
0: <laughs> yeah, not Dick Cheney. Oh
1: not Chane uh, Dorothy Safarth and someone Cheney, I can't remember what Robert Chaney and Safarth, um, uh, are both are both excellent tropical nature. Uh, if what you're interested in is um, tropical field biology, um, told with na- a narrative flair, uh, and and it's just a it's a fun, fantastic read. Um, they, Social
0: but, evolution, the textbook by Robert Trivers, one of the few textbooks worth reading
1: yes uh, yes um similarly if, if if textbook is on the list I, I i think there's two right um there's social evolution by bob by by trivers and there's evolutionary ecology by robert pianka yep um p-i-a-n-k-a um and just you know I, we don't have we have some books in this room but i can't quite see them uh from this distance. Yeah. When students used to ask me this question, I could sort of be like, here's my wall of books. And here's the, you know, the eight that I would start with. Um,
0: Yep. I think you will also get a lot out of Climbing Mount Improbable.
1: Another Dawkins book. Another Um, Dawkins book
0: where he uses the adaptive landscape metaphor. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Lots of, he leads you through examples. How did the eye evolve? This sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, it's a very good very good systematic book that uh, you. I would read Selfish Gene first, but you don't have to. They're both written for lay people.
1: And um, boy, the Dawkins book that I always used when I taught vertebrate evolution. So we've been most of the, every example we've talked about so far has been at the micro level, sort of adaptive evolution and selection. Um, but if you're looking at, um, at uh, origin of species level stuff, uh, Ancestor's Tale by Dawkins is, is beautiful. And he basically um, starts with humans and then works back through our lineage and picking individuals, not in our lineage, but at different levels of, um, at, at, at different moments, um, when they branched from, from our tree and uses them as examples of things like tox genes. And that's just the one that came up because I remember a Drosophila tale. It's like, he, he, it's the, the, the conceit of that book is it's like, uh, Canterbury tales, uh-huh. um, or, that's what it's called. Yeah. No, Canterbury Tales.
0: Canterbury Tales.
1: That sounds right. Um, <clears throat> but he then, within that, just as in, just as Chaucer does with Canterbury Tales, he picks, um, you know, individual species in this case, as opposed to uh, pilgrims. Pilgrims. God, none of this language sounds right. Is it pilgrims in Canterbury's Tale?
0: Travelers. I, I don't
1: know. Um. Anyway. Dawkins goes with species or or collections of species uh, that uh, evoke a particular lesson of evolutionary biology a, a particular way of solving a problem uh, so that's that's one of my absolute favorite books actually um, and you know he ends up because he like us you know Dawkins you know can do the phylogenetic stuff can do the macro stuff but really lives most intimately over in um, adaptive evolution space
0: yeah I'm not mm. what I'm not thrilled with that dichotomy. I don't think of uh, adaptive evolution as microevolutionary. I see, I see the distinction between these patterns differently, and so I would I would not have thought to say that um, that climbing Mount Improbable was microevolutionary.
1: I didn't. I didn't specify that at all.
0: Hmm. Oh, I thought you did.
1: Sorry. Yeah. I actually haven't read climbing Mount Improbable. I don't know what's in that book.
0: Uh, you know, it's a, it's an exploration of adaptive landscape space, but those patterns are manifest across macroevolution, even if they all happen. Oh,
1: I did say, I think all the, all these other books that we've mentioned. So I should have said all the other books that I've mentioned uh, seem microevolutionary.
0: Yeah. I would also, it's not, you, you asked about field biology and uh, maybe animal behavior. I do think uh Germs and Steel belongs on the list if you want to extrapolate to humans. I think it does a lot of myth busting uh there's people carry a lot of garbage around about why patterns of well being are what they are, mm-hmm. and there is an evolutionary story to be told, but it 's not the one you think you know yep um so anyway, Germs and Steel is great uh there's also a three part documentary that gets the gist of it without getting all the detail, which is also quite good. Um,
1: and, um, you know, at the end of our book and I'll just see if I can uh, pull it up, we've got further recommended readings as well. Um, which let me see if I can just, oh man, this, is, this document is, I don't know where a hard copy of the book is at the moment. Um, this is going to take forever. Um, what's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My computer is not liking this incredibly long Word document. Um, the yeah, There's. The it looks right? like there's one right there. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, middle, top top shelf that has books on it, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. So this book has um, somewhere <clears throat> in the back. Recommended further reading based on d- different chapters, but Selfish Gene, 1491, New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus, also really good for humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to read everything here, but um, Ancestor's Tale, Nisa, The Life and Words of a Kung Woman uh, for Cultural Anthropology. Oh, Shubin's 2008, Your Inner Fish, A Journey into the 3.5 Billion Year History of the Human Body. Excellent book. Um, Lieberman's The Story of the Human Body, Evolution, Health, and Disease, and Nassim Williams' Why We Get Sick, The New Science of Darwinian Medicine. Um, there's a lot more in here, but um, Wrangham's 2009 Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. Also, he's an excellent thinker. It's a short book. It's a particular hypothesis, you know, which is spelled out right there in the title, How Cooking Made Us Human, um, but Rangham is an excellent thinker, and he writes really well, too. Um... A couple of books on evolution of sex, bus, the evolution of desire, strategies of human mating, and Bobby Lowe, Why Sex Matters, a Darwinian look at human behavior. She's really good, too. Um, we already said Mother Nature. Lots more good stuff here, but in terms of um, evolutionary biology, Mama's Last Hug, Animal Emotions and What They Tell Us About Ourselves, that's Franz Duval. Um, Cheney and Safe not the Cheneys. Gosh. Baboon Metaphysics and Guns, Germs and Steel, Behave by Sapolsky and um, Dick Alexander's monograph, How Did Humans Evolve? Reflections on the Uniquely Unique Species, which will be available for free if you it's it's a university of michigan has that but it's a little
0: dense it's available for free because i scanned it and put it into the world
1: well you no get it online the um, university of michigan has it they, they... it's
0: my copy you'll see if you if you okay. go there you'll, I, you'll...
1: I, I think they've got a different copy now but um maybe they but got maybe it so but um books. and then we also have a couple of technical texts with the probably if you're if you're just getting started you probably don't want to start with uh West Eberhard or Jablanka and Lamb, but those are listed here too. Evolution and Four Dimensions and Developmental Plasticity and Evolution. Um, but that, I mean, that's...
0: You got your work cut out for you. That's a <laughs> lot of reading.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know you said some free and some books. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll stop there. If genes are selfish, would any... One healthy, just like their own physical traits in an ancestral environment. Is self-distaste a result of globalization, like as in xenophobia turned against ourselves?
0: Um, there's something deep here. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say this. Hatred of self makes no sense, right? That's what you're getting at. Yeah. Right. Taking what you got and using it, wielding it in a direction that evolution has pointed you toward, is the obvious thing. And um, there's definitely something about modernity that triggers, you know, a distaste for self in some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it is, who knows? I would say on the list of possibilities includes, on the list of possibilities is the fact. That the way advertisers get you to spend money is by creating dissatisfaction. It's like an adjuvant for the mind. And it, uh, I mean, I really believe this.
1: That's a, that's a good phrase. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but the idea is creating a pathology and then selling you a remedy is the standard. And basically what that means is that we are exposed all the time to people picking on insecurities and creating uh fictional pathologies and all of that stuff and the way that takes root in diff- different people's minds will vary but it may have a lot to do with why people are so thoroughly dissatisfied you know and then there are of course other things like we equip you with cruddy tools that aren't appropriate to our environment and then set you loose on it and it's not surprising that you feel inept and can't accomplish it and that may be wrongly uh, turned into hatred of self rather than a resentment of the lame ass tools and preparedness that you were handed.
1: Good. Might plasmid diversity within bacterial communities function
0: as libraries. Yep. I like this. Totally. I like that a lot. So yeah uh this is ex- and i i have been working on this for a couple decades i've been waiting for the lineage level analysis of bacteria to be properly explored but the basic idea is why pay the price of transmitting a plasmid that contains information you're not using rather than export it at the point you encounter a, uh, uh an antibiotic or something for yep. which you need resistance yep
1: um uh i didn't want you to stop (laughs) yeah i was just looking at the next question um for which you know the index in our book is not very good I must say um i was i had skipped ahead um to rfk jr on rogan spoke of endocrine disruptors are these behind the trans epidemic And big corporations are pushing trans activism to obscure their culpability. I've written about that, um, but we also, uh, specifically in this book, uh, talk about, I think, Atrazine, which I believe Kennedy is also mentioning, uh, as uh, one of the known endocrine disruptors that is everywhere, that is in a vast majority of uh, water that is tested even when it's far away from any obvious source. Uh and in water that is, if memory serves, uh in water that has some noticeable amount of atracine, you have much higher rates of uh basically sexual dysfunction in frogs, hermaphrodites and and non functional gonads. Uh so um hermaphrodites
0: and hemaphrodites both. That's not how that works. Terrible.
1: No. Okay. Um you know, could is is that part of what's going on? Like, are are people really actually being deranged by the effectively the pollution that we put into the environment, and are then becoming what may turn out to be justifiably enraged uh, by those of us saying, "Stop it already! You can't change sex," um, because they are actually experiencing, uh, you know, a devastation uh, that until recently wasn't. A possibility for people uh, is that possible yeah yeah and it's it's horrible if true
0: yeah i also believe the endocrine disruptors yeah. uh, are liable to be a root cause but i would also point out that yeah. the informational environment is absolute crap um, yes and you know what is the effect of porn and the competition to find more extreme and therefore taboo uh material to sell people you know this is not the normal interaction that a human being has with sex and sexuality so what sort of distortion is it creating i don't know right but i would say the two of them potentially point in the same direction which is sexual confusion from the physiological level to the psychological level exactly
1: yeah, so it's in, um, I, f- I found it in the online, in my version of the book online. Um, chapter seven in the Corrective Lens, we write of Minor Gatherers Guide to the 21st Century, keep contaminants away from fetuses and children. In several species of frogs, there is an established relationship between exposure to common environmental contaminants like atrazine and herbicide and an increase in hermaphroditic individuals. While sex determination in frogs is different than in humans, we will not be surprised if it turns out that some of the modern confusion around sex and gender ends up attributable to widespread endocrine disruptors in our environment. And there's uh, there's a lot of literature on um, atrazine um, specifically disrupting development in amphibians. Uh, the particular paper that we, uh, that we link to here, actually it's a couple of them, includes from Hayes, who's, um, I think he's at... Berkeley maybe he's a herpetologist at Berkeley who's done a lot of this work Um, published in uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2002 paper called hermaphroditic demasculinized frogs after exposure to the herbicide atrocine at low ecologically relevant doses meaning that we're seeing hermaphroditic demasculinized frogs um, who are simply swimming in water that seems like it doesn't have, an, like it seems to many people like it doesn't have enough to matter. And this was in 2002. We've known, like he, He's. I saw him speak at a conference around then, maybe a little bit before then. He's been, he's been banging that gong for a long time mm-hmm. and very few people are paying attention. I can't, I can't believe where we are. It's just like every level. Okay. Um, it's worse than that. HPV vax placebo was its adjuvant, no salient control arm. Yeah. Um, I, I did not remember that it was HPV, but there are definitely a, f- a few. I don't think that's the only one uh, where the so called placebo, and they actually call it placebo. Like there are actually papers that say, you know, placebo trial. And, it's like, and you look, it's like that's not a placebo. Yeah. That's either other vaccines that are acting as your control, not a placebo, or literally the entire vaccine minus the antigen. Yeah. Also not placebo. So, uh, yes. Ridiculous. Just putting it mildly. What happened with... Oh, here we go. A program to stop educational discrimination by extensive tutoring in low-income areas, with every service like transportation, home, snacks, childcare for younger siblings, etc.
0: That's a proposal.
1: I think so. It's not. It's not specified as such, but uh, yeah, there will be many hurdles to overcome. But it's. It you know, at at first pass, yes. Yeah
0: some sort of disproportionate investment is warranted and potentially useful
1: yeah absolutely did the race to be the first vaccine out and thus when contracts contribute to errors i don't know anything about this history beyond um a little bit of reading and um and listening to some of what um kennedy has said um but it seems like that would potentially be likely
0: a likely source of error yeah i agree likely but i don't think we know anything really about what happened and why there were multiple vaccines that all focused on exactly the same antigen oh
1: so well i so i read this more generally i didn't read this about covid vaccines um you're responding as if to covid vaccine in particular um Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know how to do it with with COVID. I think um, it, it is it is an understandable, it is a, it is a knowable question with regard to other vaccines. Yep. What happened with ivermectin also happened with vitamin C. Megadoses are shown to treat sepsis and cancer. What other treatments are we denied?
0: Yeah, I don't think you know. I I think you have to turn your skepticism. All the way up for anything where the information we have is downstream of pharma's influence in the last several decades. I think we just don't know because what we've discovered is that pharma has the power to make dangerous, ineffective drugs safe and effective and uh, effective, cheap, safe drugs toxic and unavailable.
1: Yeah, not just that. Like, it's it's even worse than that, Brett.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um,
1: so, A, you know, one of the first, sticking to the domain that the question exists in and that you were answering with, within, we've talked at length about vitamin D, right? That's, that's another obvious one. Uh, but I would say that um, looking for a drug to make you healthy or to keep you healthy in the first place is that that shouldn't be your starting point. Yeah. Right. You should be thinking about lifestyle, which includes uh food, movement, sleep, water. Okay. Yeah. And you be being, about being outside, sunlight, fresh cause. air. Um, well, no, I'm not I don't I'm not talking about illness here. I'm talking about like if you if, if you're looking to be healthy, uh-huh. if you're looking to um you know, I, I mean I guess the the question is about treatments, so 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 maybe that's apropos, but um, you know th- Healthy people will sometimes run into pathogens that they cannot fend off, right? Um, But in general, a healthy person running into a pathogen uh, versus an unhealthy person running into a pathogen, the unhealthy person is going to have a much harder time fending it off. And so what makes you healthy in general is um, eating actual real food and drinking um, sufficient water and moving your body a lot, including in variable ways, uh, and not just slowly and, um, spending time outside under the sun and, um, breathing, you know, and, 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 and having the things that you take in, including especially air and water, uh, be clean and pure. That was all default until, I don't know. Yeah, that's still default for some people on the planet, but not for many at this point. And um, it was certainly default for um, the vast majority of humans uh, up until a couple hundred years ago. I, I don't say. think it's
0: really true for anybody anymore because some of the contaminants are everywhere, so thoroughly everywhere. distributed through the atmosphere yeah. and and the water system. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, yeah, uh, how how you would avoided entirely.
1: I'm thinking about, I think it was the very, the, like the second, um, piece that I wrote for natural selections, uh, that I called hospitals should let the outside in, in which I tracked some of the history of, uh, tuberculosis treatment in the early middle 20th century, uh, in the U S and maybe Europe as well. And, you know, the treatment, the, the treatment had been, this is early 20th century. The treatment had been get those patients outside in the fresh air, Breathing fresh air. Do not keep them cooped up in rooms, especially with other sick people. Like it's not good for them. And uh, it was that was that was working great for you know a couple decades, and then we started to get antibiotics, and antibiotics are fantastic, but they aren't the solution to everything, and they certainly shouldn't replace other solutions that are working, they certainly, certainly shouldn't replace other solutions that are working and that have no cost associated with them or obviously far fewer costs than, okay, we're going to give you a drug. No matter how safe it is, if it's a drug, it's not as safe as be outside and breathe fresh air, right? It's inherently not. And so it's easier to control though. Hospitals have an easier time um, understanding what's gonna happen and being able to know exactly what's gonna happen next if all of their patients are lined up in rooms inside it's far easier for them than having to worry about like, well, I got, I got 20 patients outside. I got 80 patients outside and oh my God, there's a storm coming now. What are we going to do? We got to like have everyone stop doing what they're doing, changing bedpans, whatever it is and move everyone inside. It's hard to plan. Like, and this is the difference between field science and lab science. This is the difference between a world in which you understand that complexity exists and serendipity happens. And sometimes the serendipity is really, really bad. And one in which you try to control everything. And then you assume that the things that happen under the right conditions are the things that will always obtain under the wrong ones. It won't happen that way. That's not what life is. So yes, it's gonna be more chaotic if you put your tuberculosis tuberculosis patients outside. Um, Than if you put them, if you have them inside cooped up and feed them a bunch of drugs, even if those drugs are really good, even if they're effective, even if they're antibiotics that work against tuberculosis, they're still going to be healthier if you also let them breathe fresh air.
0: It's almost impossible to imagine uh, the recommendation of a non technological treatment at the moment. I agree. Right. The can idea. You, can you
1: imagine the CDC coming out and saying like, "Go outside."
0: Yeah. Take your take patients with X disease outside. Right. It's almost impossible to imagine that they would say it, no matter how clear the evidence was. Yeah. The, evi- the The treatment is going to be, take this pill, this shot. Mm-hmm. Right. This Have procedure. procedure. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be, and that yeah. tells you something because, uh, that's not, you know. At best, those things are remedies for pathologies. They're not a route to health.
1: Or breaks. Like if you're talking about procedure as well, like, you know, I mean, I mean, we say this and and I quote us saying this in my natural selections this week on the childhood vaccination schedule and the lack of placebo for any of those vaccines. Surgery, antibiotics and vaccines are three of the great successes of Western medicine, but if all you've got is a knife, a pill and a syringe, then the whole world is going to look like it needs to be cut and medicated. Yep. If that's your toolkit, and in part, that's the toolkit because it's easier to control, because those things can, can allow you to lock your patients up in places where you know where to find them and you know what's going to happen. And if you get really busy over here because three patients just coded, you don't have to worry about, oh my God, is there a squall coming in? And do I have to bring my, my patients inside? Uh, but that's not, that. that is not uh, a replacement for actually, was this the better medical invention for this patient? That is about you managing, again, like population level stuff, as opposed to, is this best for the patient?
0: Yeah. Sounds like the military is coming. Those are the growlers. Isn't that like beer? Yeah, it's a... But it's also a plane. Okay. I don't know if they can hear.
1: Okay, um, that's, that's 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 military. Mm-hmm. So we're hearing we're hearing military planes. We're under attack. Okay. But I think
0: you're hallucinating. They you really can't hear. Yeah.
1: We're not hallucinating. Not about this. Okay. How does passing traffic impact the evolution of road-crossing deer and animals? Do they develop the ability to recognize oncoming vehicles?
0: I have a long-standing hypothesis on this front that and the problem is there's a confound. Um, Roadkill is getting less common in many places, and in part that could be because the wildlife is less common. But I also believe part of what happened is uh, automobiles are confusing, right? If you imagine a deer standing in a field and some object is rushing at it, if that object doesn't see it and it stands still, that it may be missed by degrees. If it's standing in the road, the road actually dictates where the vehicle is gonna go. And so freezing in the road is the wrong move, right? The idea is- Being
1: still is a form of crypsis.
0: Right, but it doesn't, crypsis is not- Crypsis doesn't work for cars. It's in fact bad. You wanna be visible. (laughs) Um, And so the question is, does the, incorrect calculation results in deer who make that calculation being eliminated from the population result in an upgraded uh, program. And the question, this could happen at two levels, right? It could happen at the level of genes, which would be slow. It could also happen at the level of culture, which seems weird because deer don't really have very much. But they do hang out with their mothers. They do. So if their mothers are possessed of a program that causes them to treat. I used to use the example of, if deer became possessed of the idea that the road was haunted, right? That would be a literally false, but metaphorically true belief because mm-hmm. it would cause them to pass over the road very quickly and spend less time there. And uh, so such a thing, a, a parent-
1: You know, that's, I, I don't think deer have have things in their head about haunted, but, um, but it is also surprising, not only the standing still in front of the car, which I think when I, I mean, we've talked about this, like, I do think this is like, they think that they're hidden. Yeah. Um, and it just, does uh, like they, they might be, but for you the think fact they're that they're hidden, a, they are, and that's bad. Yeah. That like a, the car doesn't care. Um, and they're on a road. And so, you know, also in a, you know, in a, in a landscape, you're not, you're not, you're both of you aren't traveling on a line, right? Um, but, ah, oh, I was just going to say something else about, to your point, and I've forgotten, I've forgotten. Uh. Um, something about, oh, um, haunted, um, the, the tendency, the penchant for, uh, deer to suddenly leap out onto the road, <laughs> right? Like, Usually when you see deer on the side, so we have a lot of deer around and we've lived in places with a lot of deer. So we, we see a lot of deer, including when we've been driving and biking. And um, and when you see them, when they're not associated with the road, they're not generally like suddenly leaping places occasionally, but usually they're standing around. And so the fact that very often when they're near roads, it's them like leaping out in front of <laughs> you um, does actually, it does seem to be consistent with your uh. Maybe they think the roads are haunted. Uh, it's kind of jokey, but there's some truth there. There's, there's some possible truth there, hypothesis.
0: They should definitely have a sense of the road is different than everything else. And yeah. What that looks like in the deer's mind, who knows.
1: And maybe rushing out without having been visible to oncoming traffic first is a response that is often not working out so well for them. But sometimes it works out fine. They just leave. They don't care that the ape who passed them is like... <sighs> you almost caused us both a lot of pain dear dear, yeah. dear. um all right a while ag- a while ago with a specific wooden joint and screw a frog replied to my driver 3 to 4 times in a row this is about the noise made by the joint and the screw. I think
0: it's
1: about the impact driver. Yeah, but the but the noise and then a frog replying with a call. Okay, I
0: think.
1: Um. I don't know. Wooden joint and screw is going to be an impact driver, but I, I I doubt that. I I I think it's a. I, yeah, it's a screwdriver. I don't know. I don't know if it's an impact driver, a screwdriver, a driver. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Something
0: made a squeak yes. or that ratcheting sound or exactly. a combination of the two yep. that seems to have caused a frog to A respond. frog
1: replied to my driver three to four times in a row. What were the odds? Do you have any similar stories?
0: Oh. Um, seems to me a number of similar stories. Uh, I will say, uh, here, I got a story.
1: I feel I feel like we both, both do, but I can't think of it. Yeah.
0: Charles Handley, the great bat expert from the Smithsonian, who was a mentor of mine until he he died, um, I'm not sure if he ever showed me this trick, but he certainly talked to me about this trick of the bird calls, the squeaky bird calls, the
1: wax with the wax and the metal. And yeah, the wood. it's a little yeah, piece yeah. of
0: wood with a with a like a cone shaped piece of metal, yeah. not exactly cone shaped. Whatever that shape would be, like a I don't know what that shape is called, but um, and you twist it and it sort of binds and you can train it you could train yourself to make certain kinds of calls that are reminiscent of bird calls but it could be used to call bats into a net mm. um which goes to the discussion i can't remember a couple the last couple of weeks i talked about predator inspection right mm-hmm. with respect to the absurd Oh fact with respect of, to
1: the um uh the carnivorous plant that's being pooped into
0: um Anyway, no, I would have thought that it was with respect to I could see a relevance there, but no, I think I was talking <laughs> about the absurd fact of journalists not reporting the cause of death of people who which it's an obvious question of whether or not they had a vaccine injury. That um, we have a right to know why somebody died because there's, you know, it's not just morbid curiosity Okay. for the same reason that the sound of a struggling bat causes other bats to fly into a net because bats want to know what it is that's eating bats in the area mm-hmm. because it's useful information. Yes. Um, we have a that's right to know what's killing looking people. Looking
1: to investigate patterns. Don't right. get the patterns from us. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, so anyway, the point is the yeah. squeaky uh, bird call can be used to, signal bats so that they will fly into a net for the same reason because they hear an animal screeching and it gives them an opportunity to investigate the predator which in this case happens to be Mm. a net that will catch them
1: now we have tried not with um tools but um we both are willing to give calls um mostly to primates when we're in various places with wild primates i mean people too but that's obvious um yeah. But uh, non-human primates, various vocalizations
0: and even better, coyotes. Oh, true. Nothing's more fun than sending up a bunch of coyote howls and getting a pack of wild coyotes to respond to you. I mean, that's just
1: It's it's pretty amazing, but I can't say I miss the what? Like 30 strong troop of coyotes that uh lived around us in Portland. Cats in Portland. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but you know, I used to do this in sun lakes with students sitting so around Eastern the campfire, Washington, scab lands, yeah. right? So it's just wild coyotes out there, you know, actually doing what coyotes are supposed to be doing, rather than hunting house cats. Yes, and they would respond. Mm-hmm. Now I noticed the following pattern, though, which is you could get the students to make coyote calls, and the troop of coyotes in the wild would respond once, mm-hmm. but not twice. <laughs> and it's like you say something, the coyotes respond. And then what you say is incoherent in coyote language. And they're like, oh, geez, we got gotten. Yeah. No, (laughs) I am not falling for that again. (laughs) Fool me once is what the coyotes say. Totally.
1: Totally. Um, Yeah. I feel like there's more, more examples here, but I can't, I can't think of any at the moment. Um, We're going to do maybe a couple more here. Okay. And then stop. Um, Brett. Echo asks yes did you smoke weed right after getting a vaccine
0: apparently that's what I think I mean let's put it this way
1: I mean but I don't know like right after that's the question it's like you know within two
0: days within two weeks like I I bet you it's uh, a window of a week or more and there's no doubt that I would have yeah yeah
1: for yeah for a couple years that would have been the case yeah where do mm. oh wait this is a two part question Okay, so this is the last one we'll do um where do viruses survive during off seasons I never understood how they suddenly appear part two could viral spread be instigated by immune systems which are unable to keep latent viruses in check be instigated I don't know I don't know about the part two so much um
0: Sorry, I was working on. <laughs> this, this
1: this is why people hate people who pun. It's not the, it, it's like I oh, I don't pun. like th- I oh, really?
0: Gonna, I was gonna sing, but
1: um... oh, yeah, I'd like people <laughs> who sing. <laughs> Go for it.
0: <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to do it because I didn't I quite it. nail oh, okay. the lyric. Okay, um, but we were close. We almost had it. We you were gonna like we were gonna um, re- you swear and dad puns or dad sings rather.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, in this case, it's a song that is intolerable. So, um, I'm not going to do it. Um, but
1: disappoint everyone fine.
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'm going to disappoint everybody rather than punish them with my poor singing of a terrible song that has been translated, uh, to restate the question. So the first part of the question, yes uh was about where do viruses go when it's not the
1: when it's not flu like where where are all those flu viruses of which there are apparently lots we are told when it's not flu season why doesn't why here it's july in the pacific northwest yep it's gorgeous here no one has the flu right now chile right but the virus is traveling like the virus isn't migrating really
0: Using planes, okay. No, I mean that's what's happening. Uh, it's but, been... the, but
1: then, it's, but then it's just not here at all.
0: Is well, is, is your argument? I guess. So and no, I no, it's, I, I, it's I think be here I think that,
1: I think the idea is that somehow it's latent, but I don't know what that. I also no, 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 don't no, no, know no, no. what that means.
0: It's like this: if we um, if we back Ryan Cole's. Um, point about there is no such thing as flu and uh and cold season. Mm -hmm. There is only vitamin D deficiency season. Right, right. Um we back that off slightly the idea would be
1: but then it's always it's it's out there, right? Like it's out there and your susceptibility to it is is based on again your health. Presumably
0: people are getting on planes where it is flu and cold season arriving and the virus does not a okay, okay. no, no,
1: no. hundred years ago flu existed and right. flu existed in both hemispheres both north and south hemispheres and people weren't flying back and forth okay and certainly you know boat trips and such weren't explaining like it, it that, that may that may explain why things are worse and stupider and crazier now with regard to flu cold and flu season but that's not that's not a fundamental
0: um no no it's not fundamental but but i do think i mean a i don't think we have the evidence i think we know a certain number of things like uh, flu season may have switched um between summer and winter and the reason ostensibly is that people were holed up in their houses and not in contact with each other in the winter in uh, you know in remote places right so
1: again that's consistent with like it's it's out there it's latent it's
0: like in people but not making them sick no, no, it's, it's latent latent like it, in the population there's a tiny number of people who are anomalously sick in modern times are there
1: though uh it like in, right now in the pacific northwest and forget the islands the islands are low population in seattle or in vancouver right now are there people with flu there are people with colds like summer colds whatever exactly that means sure but are there people with flu right now
0: well i'm not sure That when we say summer cold, that we are not talking in some cases about a flu that is
1: Okay. So diseases manifest differently depending on how severe a case you have and how severe a case you have is not inherently dependent on the strain, you know, the exact genetic read of the reading of exactly what that thing is, but is very much dependent on how healthy you are at the point you are exposed to it. Right. Okay, so yeah, but so there's a there's an if there, there's an assumption yeah. in the model which is that you know summer colds includes also flu, and that some amount of summer sickness is all of those things that in winter more people are are getting sick and 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 everyone who's getting sicker pretty much is getting sicker than they would have if they had been sick in the summer.
0: So let's say you've got variation in severity which may be uh, about your degree of health in the different seasons the same same viral strain would hit you differently right there's gonna be latency where viruses wait for a signal that it's a moment that they should start replicating so there's gonna be a dormancy issue for some viruses
1: so that's the, like the, it's out it's it's out there right and, out it may, there. and it may be in you right but um, but it's not it's waiting for a <laughs> Well it's put waiting way. for an opportunity.
0: I believe this is why the largely myth of you know you're gonna catch your death a cold, right? Yeah. If you are out in the cold, you're gonna get sick.
1: It's huh? out there. What?
0: Right. Like no, no. What you, it you is? You may have is,
1: something riding on you already. Yeah. You
0: may be harboring something, yeah. and then you may trigger it to emerge because it detects that this is a good moment to do that.
1: If your body is having to put all of its resources to making sure you don't lose a limb, you know, you know that you don't, you have enough calories to stay warm. Um, that's a good moment to strike.
0: Right. Or you yeah. know, you know that you could also run it a different way, like. Um, if an ancestor would have been jeopardized by the level of cold that you just exposed yourself to, then maybe mm. it's now or never. And so something, you know, like a last ditch effort at reproduction from a plant that you've just ah. snipped off uh, a virus might detect it. Hey, it's time to, it's time to boogie, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know that they talk like that, but they might. Oh, they might. Yeah. No, no, they yeah. might. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think they Samba actually viruses. <laughs>
0: some, some of them undoubtedly. Some of them. Yeah. Do. Yeah. yeah. The, the more cultured ones. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Cool. Yeah, And no, I think, I, yeah.
0: yeah. We got some useful stuff on the table. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, including boogieing viruses.
0: Boogieing viruses. Yeah. The boogieing viruses would be a, a good name for a hardworking band, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. One that gives you earworms.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, ivermectin works on earworms, but you got to get it really deep in there.
1: That you have to shove an entire horse in your head?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's weird.
1: The whole whole, story there was weird. Yeah, it
0: was a little off. It
1: was a little off and that wasn't our fault either. Nope. Certainly wasn't. Well, okay, cool. Um, I think we're done.
0: We're done. I think
1: I think we're done. Um I think what we're gonna do here is we're gonna we're gonna sign off here in a moment. Uh and we will be back in four short days.